Hi, this is Pastor Bob. Today is number six in the series on continuing the Word of God. We're going to talk today about the great supper that the man made. A great supper invited many to come, but not that many actually showed up. What is church? It's a great meal that God has prepared for you, and He wants you to show up and enjoy not only the food, but fellowship with others. Let's find about the importance of the local church in the Word of God today. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello, welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. This is number six in my series I've been teaching on the importance of the Word of God. Continue in the Word has been the title of it. Should go today, possibly into tomorrow. We'll just see how it goes, but teaching on the importance. In fact, the key verse we have taken from, we talked about the good ground, then the bad ground, the hard ground, stony ground, thorny ground, good ground over in chapter four of Mark. Then we compared that to 2 Timothy chapter two, of which there Paul is talking to Timothy about types of people in the church. And he called them vessels there, just like we had four types of ground in Mark chapter four. We have four types of ground in 2 Timothy chapter two. And uh, there we have uh, we have vessels made out of earth and wood and silver and gold, some to honor, some to dishonor, but God doesn't make you honorable or dishonorable. No, in fact, it says if you clean yourself from these, that's the sins and the pitfalls of life, it says you can make yourself a vessel of honor. So really it's up to you. God is not saying he has stamped you and made you where you can't change your life. Your life is changeable. And that comes by continuing in the word of God. Uh, in Mark chapter four, let me tell, quote to you verse 23 through 25, because here's the key verse. The key verse is verse 23. If any man has ears that can hear, let him hear. And the Greek here, again, is present linear action. And it means if any man has ears that can hear, let him keep on hearing. The whole Christian life is growing and maturing in the things of God. Uh, you think about a child born on this earth. How long did it take to birth the child? Well, you know, from conception, nine months, then the baby was born, it appears. But from that time on, it is a lifetime of growth. I don't care if you're 70 80, 90 years old, you're still learning things today. There's nothing, never comes a time in life you quit learning things. I mean, it's, it's here I am in my 70s, but man, I look back sometimes and think, you know, I, sometimes you get this cocky idea, you know it all, and you see young people that, you know, are, are still learning. You think, ah, oh, you know, uh, I, I've known those things for a long time, but you find out one day you're still dumb. I mean, there's things you don't know. There's things you learn, you think, my Lord, I've been around all these years and I've never known that. That's like an elementary thing in life. So it is with the word of God, you never quit growing. I actually had a couple in church tell me one time who, who, you know, by that time I was in my 50s or something. They had to go to their 70s and they just quit attending church and they would come every once in a while. I mean, every couple, three months, you might see them for something special. I talked to him one day. I said, not in church. He said, he laughed, said, we paid our dues. I thought, are you kidding You've paid your dues. Coming to church was some kind of thing you owe and it's a thing that you don't like and you gotta pay to do it. And there comes a day one day when you think you don't have to go to church anymore. I mean, till the day you die. Think of Paul. I don't know exactly how old he was, but think about him talking to Timothy. Say, Timothy, they're gonna take me to prison. Bring my parchments and my coat. The coat for when it gets cold, but my parchments, I'll never quit studying the word of God. And he would go over scriptures he'd been over before and all of a sudden see things he'd never seen before because that's the Christian life. And you will continue to grow throughout eternity in heaven. There never comes a time you stop learning. 
And so that's what God is simply saying. The key to growth in the Christian life and the key to success in the Christian life is if you have ears on the side of your head that can hear, then keep on hearing, keep on hearing, because there's never an end to faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then he warned in verse 24 and verse 25, take heed what you do here. I mean, don't just let anything come in your mouth. Filter it after you know the word of God. Now filter what's coming into your ears by the word of God. For with what measure that you measure out, that's the faith you walk in, it'll be measured to you. And to you who keep on hearing, keep on hearing, more shall be given. And he who has, has what? Ears that can keep on hearing. To him shall more be given. And he who has not, has not what? Ears that keep on hearing. From him shall be taken even that which he already has. The key to this parable of the sower and the seed is not God who gives or Satan who steals. It's the ground. You, by keeping on hearing, allow God to give you more. But once you quit hearing, you allow Satan to steal from you what God has given to you. God loves to create things and give them to you. Satan can't create anything. He can only steal from you what God has given. And the key way he does it is by taking you away from the word of God. And as we've been talking about for the past five lessons, he gets you away from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the thorny ground. In verse 18 and 19 of Mark chapter four, it says, these are those which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares or the necessities of this age and the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So we've had hard ground and we've had a stony ground, thorny ground here. You know, stones are under the ground. That's what says your roots can't grow deep because down there is where, you know, you hit offenses and stuff. But in this case, it's the things that come in life. This is above ground, okay? And you have the cares of life around you, then the deceitfulness of riches. I want you to notice how quickly riches are mentioned in this. Once you start living a life pleasing to God, then what starts to come into your life is also finances. But you've got to be careful because there is a trick in finances, and that is you begin to trust on the riches more than you trust in God. And you begin to seek the riches because it makes you look better and you'll drive better cars. All of a sudden, you became the main, the main issue, no longer what you can do with it because riches are not designed by God to make you wealthy, first of all. They are designed, first of all, for you to give into the kingdom of God. This is what it's for. Once you start that pattern, God can bless you. And the purpose of all those riches, and in fact, it says that he multiplies seeds sown and he multiplies uh, this for us. And so the seed we sow is what causes it to come, but we give into the kingdom of God. This is what it's for. And he gives seed to sowers. He doesn't give seed to keepers. No, if you're a keeper and everything you look at, you keep like this, God won't trust you. But if it looks like that, whatever, even if you don't have money, you give of your time and you volunteer yourself and do things for other people. This is where God will begin to give you riches or seed in your life to cause more to come in. And it says again, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things entering in, it chokes the word and the word becomes unfruitful, no ability to produce. So again, just like stones are below the ground, thorns are above the ground, Passing the blessing test is important. There are testings that come to us in life. Adversity tests come from Satan. He throws evil things at us, just like he did with Jesus. He threw evil things at him to see how Jesus would handle it. And of course, God wants to know how you're gonna handle it too, but those adversities do not come from God. Those adversities come from Satan. But there is things that God sends to you to test you, and it's the good things of life. Just like when you give your child an allowance, you say, okay, something's attached to this. I wanna see some production out of you. 
you. When God begins to bless you in life, he wants to see how you're gonna handle it. The prosperity test comes from God, but the adversity tests come from Satan. Are you willing? With God's prosperity he gives you, are you willing to keep God and other people around you first and continue to keep giving? Are you giving just because you're gonna get something back? Then it's not gonna last long. Because here's what God wants to know. If I never gave you anything in return, would you still keep on giving into my kingdom? We see this when we find uh, Abraham's son Isaac was put on the altar because the Lord was challenging him to give of his prosperity what God had blessed him. And God said, okay, I would do it. If I need to do it, I'll do it. And of course, it comes back to that. Luke chapter 14 tells us something. And of course, it ties in so closely with this. Turn to Luke chapter 14 while you're turning there too. I just want to admonish you. You know, one of the greatest ways in the Christian life to guarantee blessings to come in the future is just getting involved in people's lives. This is what God looks for. I mean, I have had people in their 40s and 50s even say to me, I still haven't found the will of God for my life. And my point is, you should have found that a long time ago. But you know what I note about a lot of people that say that? They just don't get involved in anything. God looks for people that are busy doing things for him. It says, when he comes, will he find us doing, not sitting, not griping, not just hearing sermons, but getting involved in people's lives. And I say this because throughout the word of God, people were doing the simplest things when God found them. It was the people doing nothing that God never approached. But in the Old Testament, whenever uh, God approached uh, looking for a new king for the nation, he found David, but David was, was out tending sheep, looking for Moses, a man to deliver the children of Israel. Moses was also tending sheep when God came to him through the burning bush. And Elisha was plowing. Gideon was on the threshing floor. We find so many people, when God approached them, they were doing something. In the New Testament, it's the same way. They were uh, collecting taxes. They were fishing. Or else in Acts chapter 6, they were helping the widows of the church. My Lord, just start getting involved in church. Usher people through the door. Be a greeter. I remember there was one lady at our church. Oh, God, she a great greeter. I mean, you might think, well, what can a greeter do except open a door for somebody? No, she opened a door with a smile and looked at those people and said, is this your first time here today? And they'd say, well, yes or no. And she said, either way, she said, well, I want you to know something. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine design. Open yourself up. God has something to show you today. And I mean, those people you see immediately begin to change. And I thought, what a wonderful greeting. That woman's probably gonna get rewards up in heaven for that one small phrase she gave them, you're not here by accident, and opened them up to find the will of God. And they be, she was involved in church, helping other people. Her greatest joy was helping people, not just standing there taking up time. And the same way with ushers, the same way with praise and worship leaders, the same way with children's workers. You don't get paid for these things, but the point of it is you're not there for pay. You're there to help people and God looks for that. And just like he found a Moses tending sheep and a David tending sheep, and he found a Gideon on the threshing floor and all these other ones doing something, that's what God's looking for. He'll bring his will to you, show you what you're supposed to do. The will of God is not something you have to go look for. The will of God is something that will find you if you'll just get involved. And believe me, there's enough people out there not doing anything that God will bypass a million people, a million believers sitting in a chair or a pew in a church, not doing anything and find the one guy that's out there helping children, youth, ushering, 
greeting, whatever it may be in the church, this is what God's looking for. In fact, I have a little book, a $5 book, and you might look it up when you order, you know, things from the ministry or just look it up yourself. And it's called Let God's Will Find You. And it's the key to this. It's just a little thin book, but what it is is the simplicity of finding the will of God. Let it find you. So in Luke chapter 14, we have a story here about the people's attitude about coming to church. And this is how God uses it. This is how Jesus used it. And he applied it to having a great supper. This is found in Luke chapter 14. We'll take this up even greater after we come back from halftime, after the break during this broadcast. And we'll be looking at verses 16 through 27, then verse 33 through verse 35. I want to admonish you why you found that verse of scripture. If you haven't found it by now, you've been so mesmerized by what I'm saying. Uh, go back and look for it. But on the other hand, again, thank you so much. You you know, you're the greeters in my ministry. You're the, you're the ushers in my ministry, the ones that get involved by finances. And believe me, you are a door opener for people to come in. You are a greeter that whenever uh, you help to, to sponsor this broadcast, it's a welcoming to where we can reach out and get more people and invite them into this ministry so they can be a blessed uh, minister of God, find their own place in the kingdom of God. Thank you. And these people I call you my partners. So involved with me that you work with me, just like a partner in the church could be an usher with the pastor. And if you'd like to become a partner in this ministry also, go to my website, bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me in this ministry. See you right after the break. The early church saw great success by continuing in the Word of God. Success in your walk with God is found when you continue in His Word. God wants you to have an abundant entrance into heaven, and that is only possible as you become a disciple of Jesus and study His Word. In this seven-part teaching by Bob Yandian, you'll gain insight into the importance of the Word for success in your daily life as a child of God. Lessons include, why do we go to church? Power and refreshing, overcoming offenses, excuses and reasons, the cost of discipleship, the cost of commitment, and the lifestyle of a disciple. To order Continue in the Word, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. A new book just came in. I've been waiting on this book, Theology Simplified. This is a class I teach at Karis Bible College, and I've been waiting to put this into a book. It's eight different theological terms that sound difficult but actually are very simple. I just simply think the Bible sometimes is filled with complicated sounding words, but you break it down, it becomes very simple. This book is called Theology Simplified. Let me tell you what all that covers. It covers predestination. It covers reconciliation and sanctification. It covers glorification, justification. Redemption, propitiation, and election are all covered in this book. And again, big words with simple meanings. I bring it down to you. Go to my website, bobtheandian.com. You'll find how you can have a copy for yourself. Blessings upon blessings to you. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Well, Trish, you're going to be ordering that CD set that I have on Continuing the Word. Again, listen to it in the car. 
Whenever you find a place to listen to it, do it, because you'll find out again the keys of what I'm talking about here in this uh, seven series so far, six or seven series on this particular uh, issue of continuing the Word of God. You'll find even more on there than I get into than what I'm even getting into on the television broadcast. I think you found Luke chapter 14 by now. And let's take a look at verse 16 through 27 to start with. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, a certain man made a great supper. Let's apply this. We've already seen it in Luke chapter four. We found it in 2 Timothy chapter two. And the at the uh, comparison to the local church, this is what this is a comparison to. A certain man is the pastor and he made a great supper. That's a sermon. I want you to notice this certain man made a great supper. It doesn't say a snack. It doesn't say pop something into the microwave oven that was frozen. It didn't say he took it from someone else and warmed it up and made it his own sermon. He made a great supper. Have you women watching and even some of you men that help your wife during those times, how many can admit that Thanksgiving meal does not start on Thanksgiving Eve? It starts days in advance with preparation and thinking and how this will all hit the table at the same time. What are we going to offer to drink? What kind of vegetables are we going to have? What kind of things are we going to have with the turkey? Are we going to have a ham also with the turkey? You go down the list of things and when they come, you want everything in place. That's what a church service is like. Your pastor doesn't start on Saturday night for Sunday morning. He starts actually weeks in advance. I would start months in advance and literally start putting sermons together way ahead of time and then keep working on them the closer it got to the time I was going to teach it. So it takes a lot of work to put a great supper together. It's all right to listen to other people's sermons, but don't just listen to them on Friday. Make your own sermon out of it on Saturday and preach it on Sunday. No, listen to it long in advance where you can roll it around on the inside of you. Put it with your own thinking where when it finally comes out, it may sound a little like brother so-and-so, but it's your sermon. You've added your own ingredients to it. It's no longer great grandma's uh, apple recipe. It's great grandma's with my own addition added to it. This is what it is. Notice what it says. He invited many to come. This is the church service. And the invitation stands wide open, whosoever will may come. That's not only for salvation, but that's for coming to church for every believer that calls this their church home. Verse 17, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I pray, have thee me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to test them. I pray, let me be excused. And another said, I've married a wife and I cannot come. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things, then the master of the house being angry. I want to stop right there. You know what causes ministers to get angry? You put all that preparation into a sermon and people begin to give you excuses. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't say. It doesn't say they offered him reasons. A reason is legitimate. A reason is something that honestly comes up. Pastor, I've had a, I've had my wife. Uh, she just was taken to the doctor, to the hospital. Uh, my mother is very sick and dying. I and listen, Pastor. I'd be there. You know, I'd be there if I could. But this and that's fine. Uh, people take vacations. That's fine. In fact, I'd mosh them while they're on vacation, you know, listen to the television or watch it and, and watch the church online. Okay. Those are things you can do. But I want to tell you what an excuse. It doesn't say they gave him reasons. They gave him excuses and excuses. 
Excuses are literally really just an excuse for your laziness. And it's a lie. It comes down to an excuse is a lie. A reason is the truth, but an excuse is a lie. And so again, the first one said, I married a wife and can't come. Why in the world did you just marry a wife and now you can't come? Notice this, I've just married a wife. Perhaps you met them in the church and now you say, because I've married a wife, I can't come. It's all right to have certain things, you know, in marriage and stuff that like a honeymoon or something like that. But since he said, I've married a wife, I cannot come. And so uh, the first one said, uh, I be, let me be excused. He said, I bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. And so the point of it is, why in the world would you buy a piece of ground and then go look at it? If that's you, then I got some, I got some land in Florida. I'd be glad to sell you because if you're not going to go take a look at it, you're going to buy it first and then look at it. Man, you are become prey for everybody. In other words, what this is saying is this was not true. He might have bought a piece of ground, but why do you have to go during church to go look at it? You could have gone and looked at it before or after church. You don't have to do it now. He said, let me be excused. The second one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to try them out. This takes prosperity. This person has grown not only spiritually in the church, but now been blessed enough by coming to the church, following the word of God, where prosperity starts to come into his own life. And now he's using his prosperity to buy five yoke of oxen. You realize that's 10 oxen, a yoke is two. And he said, I bought five yoke of oxen. So this is extreme prosperity. He said, I'm gonna go test them. What kind of idiot would buy all these oxen and then not try them? You try them after you buy them. He says, let me be excused. And another said, again, I've married a wife and cannot come. I have seen this happen so often at church. A couple, you know, a man and a woman come to church, you know, they're, they're, and they really want to put God first. And I've talked to them and I said, you married? No, no, I'm really trusting God for a wife. I'm trusting God for a husband. And I really want to, you know, and they start putting themselves out there and telling me what's going on in their life. And I've even agreed with them in prayer. I tell them this, be faithful to come to church. Don't go looking for a husband. Don't go looking for a wife. You might run from church to church looking for opportunities to find a woman or find a man and literally don't know it. God sent him to this church. And now you're over here looking at this church. Don't just go to a lot of seminars on marriage. Stick with the word of God. Get involved in the church. Become involved in praise and worship, ushering, greeting at the front door, all these things, just get involved and God will bring the right woman or the right man to you. And so they said, I've married a wife and cannot come. And I've actually had, this has happened, couples sitting in church, you know, they they don't know each other yet, but they look at each other and realize, oh, wow, you know, God's doing something here, you know, or wow, I sense something. And they, they invite them out on a date and they date. And then after a while, they fall in love. After they fall in love, they set a marriage date. They have a marriage date. And then all of a sudden, you don't see them as often in church. And you wonder why. They finally do come to church. They don't sit as close to the front anymore. They sit further back. And then they sit further back and they come less often. And when you talk to them, finally run into them at a mall somewhere. Some said, haven't seen you guys in church for a long time. Oh, you know marriage. Busy, 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 busy. Yeah, too busy to take you away from the things of God that brought you together. And then you wonder why 10 years down the road, eight years down the road, you're having marriage problems. It's because you didn't put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Church attendance was no longer number one in your life. Now you have children and the church that meant so much to you now doesn't mean so much to them. And you can bank on it. They won't be faithful to church down the road because mom and dad didn't raise them in the admonition and things of God. The father didn't put his foot down with those kids and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You did that in your own life. 
You did that in the life of your wife. She did that too. But now that you've been married, oh, suddenly church. In other words, by essence, the church was like a genie. You rub the lamp and out came the genie. You ask for the three wishes and ask him to go away. This verse is simply saying here, you don't need to do that. No, don't treat God as if he's something you just want to make your request. He'll meet your request and then you don't need to do that anymore. No. And so it says here again that the master became angry. The master of the house is the pastor. And you wonder why the pastor gets angry because people don't come to church and all these excuses come up and they may seem legitimate to you or basically think it's none of his business. If I come to church or not, it is very much his business because he has a lot to show in, in your life as to the rewards you'll get even in heaven. It even tells us in the book of Hebrews that your pastor will be held accountable for you in heaven. And whenever things are brought up, I'm sure Jesus will look to the pastor and say, is this true? You know, no, because what's going to happen is he has a lot to do for the success in your life, even more than your occupation. You should have been faithful to church before you got a job. And later on, by the time you retire, you still keep going to church because a job isn't forever, but growing in the kingdom of God and growing in righteousness is forever and forever. Then the master in verse 20, 21 says, out of the house being very angry, said to his servant, go out quickly in the lanes and, and of the streets in the city, bring in here the poor, bring in here the maimed, bring in here the halt, bring in here the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded and there is still room. And the Lord said to his servant, go out into the highways and hedges or alleyways and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Notice this, compel them to come because usually when you invite people to church, they come up with excuses too. If they're sinners or they're not involved in the church, no, compel them, keep pushing and bring them to church. Why? They're gonna walk into church and find a fullness of the spiritual life they've never had. And verse 24 says, for I say to you that none of those men who were invited will taste of my supper. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said to them, if any man comes to me and hates not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What he's saying here again is, oh, you may come to church once in a while, but he said to them, if they don't come in and put church above everything, notice this, he comes to me if he doesn't hate his father. He doesn't say by coming to me, he has to become another pastor or all that. He becomes so involved in the Christian life that now he simply says, it's more important than my father, my mother, my wife, my children, my brothers and my sisters and my own life. He says, this is the man that cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice something here. We are not talking about salvation. We are not talking about salvation at all. We're talking here about a disciple, a person once who's been born again, and where you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he became the highest thing in your life. But now what becomes the highest thing in your life after salvation is the word of God. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. He's simply saying here, these people's priorities got all messed up. Suddenly a wife became more important, possessions became more important, and other things in life became more important. I've seen people in my church that became God God blessed them enough, they bought a boat. And I said, well, that's great. Now you got a boat. And I said, you know, when are you going to, he said, well, we're going to take out once in a while on Sundays and go out on the lake because that's when we have time to ride a boat. No, you don't. Church comes above everything in life. There's other days to ride in that boat. There's, there's vacations, there's weekends and other things like that. But don't take your church time to do that. And all of a sudden you begin to get this idea. You see, the need is what brought them to church. But once the need was met, 
now they don't need Jesus anymore because he's that genie that you rub on the side of the lamp. You take your Bible and rub it and out he comes and says, I'll give you three wishes. And after three wishes, you ask him to go away. You don't need him anymore. No, he becomes more important in your life than your father, your mother, your wife, your children. Jesus one time said to the multitudes around when a woman's cried out and said, oh, to be your mother would be wonderful. He said, no, look around you. He said, there's my mother. There's my brothers. There's my sisters. What he said was, he said, all those who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior are closer than any other natural family member that you could ever have. And that's what he's saying. And you need to see church that way. You need to see the things of God that way. You need to see the word of God that way, that Jesus Christ is everything. When we come back, we're going to take up tomorrow with verse 27 and talk about the difference between your cross and the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you about my own testimony about being raised in church and of my father who put Jesus Christ and the local church above everything and how it affected my life. That's how it's affected my children. So we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Be back tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.